Hello, and welcome to the Rules of the Game podcast, where it is my job to discuss democratic institutions. Women in Switzerland lacked direct political power until 1971. Up until then, women didn't have the right to vote and the right to be elected, despite efforts to introduce women's suffrage that had started already a hundred years earlier, in the second half of the 19th century. Yet, once full political rights were obtained, women used the available political instruments and power with strategy and determination. With Marlene Gerber, I discussed the evolution of women's political power in Switzerland. She outlines the milestones on this long journey to political equality. One question is why it took Switzerland so long to introduce women's suffrage compared to many other countries. We discussed this and many other developments around women's participation in Swiss politics. Marlene Gerber is deputy director of the Anne Politique Suisse, the yearbook of Swiss politics at the Institute of Political Science of the University of Bern. She finished her PhD thesis on the potential for deliberation among EU citizens in 2013, based on a project funded by the Swiss National Science Foundation. I am your host, Stefan Kibowatz, and this is the 20th episode of the Rules of the Game podcast. I am a political economist with a PhD in economics from the University of Bern in Switzerland. And I previously held positions at the London School of Economics and Political Science and the Center for Global Development. You find a full transcript of the conversation on my website, rulesofthegame.blog. I would like to receive your feedback, so just send me an email to stefan.keyboards at gmail.com. And please leave a review on your preferred platform and share this episode with friends and colleagues. Now, please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Marlene Gerber. Marlene Gerber, welcome to the Rules of the Game podcast. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. My first question, as always, is what is your first memory of democracy? That's a good question, and the, the answer that comes to my mind is probably not actually my first memory that I experienced, but the memory that stuck in my mind is the first time I was actually allowed to vote. And this was uh, at the national elections in October 2003. And this was actually, I have to out myself, um, I'm, it's not a very glorious moment of my political past, because at that time I was not really particularly interested yet in politics. That came then a little later. So it was also a bit, um, it was a bit difficult for me to, to make up my mind. I already had the impression I have to study all these leaflets of all the parties in order to, to find really the, the candidates that are most closely to, to my opinion as far as I had that then. So I actually postponed the vote until the quite very last moment. And that's why I found myself lying on the beach in uh, Tunisia um, <laughs> around me, <laughs> all the leaflets spread. And I was really, yeah, dutifully reading every single word of it. And so, yeah, at that time, it, it felt a bit like a, 
a duty to vote for me. And um, of course, that then changed quickly and I realized how much of a right it actually is and how privileged I am also to have this yeah, ability to, to vote on so many different issues in Switzerland because of this extensive form of direct democratic participation. And this is then also how I became more and more interested in these issues. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like you took uh, your right and your responsibility <laughs> to take part in democracy still quite seriously uh, in, in the early years. That's probably already kind of an indication that you, you know, later on started to, to do research. Today we want to talk about the introduction of women's suffrage in Switzerland and more generally also about the evolution of women's political power in Switzerland. And also my personal relationship to that is that my mother actually, when she turned 20, didn't yet have the, the right to vote and the right to be uh, elected. And that was quite a frustration for her, even though she got it like very soon after, like a year after. That was 1971 when women's suffrage was approved through also a public vote. And we want to discuss this today in, in this episode, because in the development of the Swiss democracy, it was really an important, a very important moment. It led to obviously the inclusion of almost half of the population in the democracy and we could even discuss whether we can call Switzerland a democracy before that, right? So mm -hmm. it was yeah. really restricted to mm -hmm. the male population. So what do you see as the main events regarding the introduction of uh, women's suffrage in Switzerland? Yeah, of course, there are several. You just mentioned now the, the event that finally led to the introduction of, of female suffrage in, in 1971. And before, there are also many interesting instances so um yeah it sounds like the fight in switzerland maybe um started late but this is not the case so there was already before the 20th centuries women movements formed in order to demand that right in switzerland also and right after the world war one there were also two parliamentarians who um, submitted proposals demanding to introduce women's suffrage um however yeah, the parliament passed them only in a less binding form as a postulate and the federal council actually never reacted to them by presenting a proposal or similar. So this is maybe one of, of the events where you can see that, yeah, there were demands early on, but they were not really taken up by, by politicians. There are other events then a lot later on. In 1957, there was a vote on extending the civil defense obligation to women. So women were, were yeah, concerned with this um, voting proposal, but couldn't, couldn't actually um, give their opinion about it. So that, just to clarify for the audience, men in Switzerland have to do a military service, so it's an obligation to do the military service. And this was a discussion to kind of extend a service, more a civil service to women also, right? Exactly. Uh, as, also as a consequence of, of the Cold War, I think. Is that right? Yes. So this was really also the obligation, the duty for women to introduce then, yeah, for civil 
defense. Mm -hmm. And then the argument was really, okay, you know, there is more responsibility or this obligation for women to do the service, but they can't even vote, right? That was really exactly. a kind exactly. of the trigger that reignited the discussion. That's true. Exactly. So women said, so why should we have more duties, but still no rights? Exactly. And also some um, municipalities, they saw it a bit that way. So they said, okay, women, they are strongly affected by this reform. So let them have a vote on it. And they actually allowed women to vote. They um, presented two separate ballot boxes because they maybe already knew that there will be uh, the government that will intervene. But still, they, they, as a sign of including women in politics, they allowed it to them to go to the polls. And the argument why they did that um, was that they um, just interpreted the constitution a little different. So their argument went that while with the designation of Schweizer, so the male form of, of Swiss citizen, um, in other parts of the constitution, women or Swiss women were also included. So why shouldn't this be the case uh, in the paragraph on the voting right? This was the argument. until Yeah, so that's how they legitimized this decision. Of course, um, the Canton and the Federal Council later on annulled the women's votes. But this, again, raised um, the discussion on the introduction of, of women's suffrage. And it also shows that there were attempts in Switzerland to, to introduce women's suffrage by circumventing a direct democratic vote on it, because there was this fear that this will not be accepted by the male citizens. Also, the circumvention there was that they tried was to just reinterpret the constitution exactly. instead of changing the constitution. Exactly, because changing the constitution would mean that there is obligatory mandatory referenda, so that male Swiss citizen would need to vote on it, and that the majority of cantons need to approve it. Yes, and that was also the, the really high hurdle in Switzerland, right? While in other countries, usually the parliament decided on women's suffrage in Switzerland, the male population had to approve it. And since also Switzerland is in fact a very conservative country in many ways, this was, was a high hurdle and that's why they tried to uh, go around it. Yes, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that was in 1957 with this Swiss municipality that allowed their women to, to actually vote. And then only two years later, there was actually the first popular vote. Yeah, it is actually also connected to this proposal on, on civil defense obligation, because this put pressure on the, on the Federal Council to, to present the proposal for the introduction of women's suffrage. So this was the context, that's how it this happened. But there is also the suspicion that the parliament only waived the bill through because it was fairly certain that it wouldn't find a majority among the male voting population. Then because uh, with the exception of the social democrats who recommended to vote yes, the other major parties decided either not to give a voting recommendation or in the case of the Swiss People's Party, they rejected it. So when this then also proved to be right at the, at the vote, actually only one in three Swiss men and three French cantons voted yes, and the rest yeah, refused it. And then later on, the rejection at the ballot was actually used to legitimize that Switzerland still refrains from introducing women's suffrage. This also shows that direct democracy can, can exert a, a breaking 
effect, so to say, on, on, on certain innovations. Mm -hmm. So the decision by the male population was used to uh, re-emphasize that no, um, Switzerland doesn't need women's suffrage, right? And you often hear this after public votes that uh, this is kind of uh, almost a definite decision that now we have seen what's the result and we're not going to argue <laughs> around it uh, anymore. Um, but then at the, at the cantonal level, there were new, new attempts, right, to introduce women's suffrage. And the first one was Canton of Watt, who approved women's suffrage in 1959. And then some other cantons followed. And that was also, again, the federal structure of Switzerland that was quite important in bringing about these changes at the lower level and also that people could see how, how it is implemented, etc., right? Yes, right. That was also the argument of, of many political actors first that said why we should actually start at the local or at the lower levels to, to introduce the, the female suffrage and see how it goes and then later on um, extend it to the, to the national level. That was also, you could also say it was maybe also quite a, kind of an excuse. So um, it was pushed to the cantons and the, and the municipalities to, to, to act first. Uh, on the other hand, you can also say probably the cantons uh, also have waited for a sign from the national level in order to, to become active. So um, there's a bit of both, I guess, because then when 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 they saw that that yeah this the second proposal that actually was also um, yeah successful had had chances to be successful, then the cantons also started to act immediately, most of them at least. Yeah. And that also then put more pressure at the national level again, which led up to the decision in 1971 to finally introduce women's suffrage across Switzerland at the national level. What was kind of the, the pre-story to that decision? You know, how, how that pressure was built and, and why, why was it finally a yes? I'd say the main reason was maybe not even the, the cantons that put much pressure because there was only a, a handful of cantons who, who had yeah, managed to, to introduce cantonal women's suffrage. But actually, that the main pressuring factor were the discussions on, uh, on the ratification of the European Convention on Human Rights. And so there was really an external pressure because in order to ratify them, the Federal Council intended to um, ratify it only with the reservation regarding the, the non-existent women's suffrage. And this really strongly radicalized women and they opposed and they demanded the immediate introduction of women's suffrage. So they said that that's not, not an option. So... We need to have um, women's suffrage first, and then we can fully ratify the convention. So this was actually um, the event, I'd say, that, that really changed a lot. It was then also impressive how, how, how many people went to the streets, and so there was a lot of civil pressure then also around because of this discussion regarding the European Convention on Human Rights. And um, yeah, then also maybe time changed. So um the economic integration of, of women was, was further developed. There was a general change going on between generations that might also have helped that then in the end um, it got accepted. So at least two out of three men this time said yes. That might have been the reasons. So it was one third of men who changed. I mean, these yeah. were obviously not the same men or only yeah, yeah. partly. <laughs> <laughs> but it doubled, uh, yeah. But yeah, <laughs> the they, they, doubled. so it was yeah. approved by around 65 
or 66 percent uh, of men. I think of men. so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just to recap, also going back again, I mean, th- you know, the pressures were or the discussions were there uh, very early on already in the 19th century. So it was already as uh, in 191868. Uh, and in Zurich, for example, there was pressure to change the, the constitution of Zurich because uh, of the federal structure that was essentially a possibility to introduce uh, women's suffrage and then women's associations were really strong right in in pushing for that but it just because the hurdle of approval by the male population was was quite high it it took so long and two institutions that maybe have influenced that which is not an excuse but may explain why it took so long was was on the one side direct democracy, as we said, because a lot of power was already nested within the the male population in that sense. So the power, political power, was already quite distributed across the the population. And then the second one was proportional representation that was introduced in 1919, which was again a, a big step in including political parties, political groups in the in the political decision-making process. So these, this inclusion of, of these groups and these really powerful tools, they might have um, slowed the whole process down. And obviously then, as I said already, that the male population had to approve it. This was really unique, right, in an international comparison. Yes, quite. I think there was one other country like um, Liechtenstein who voted... Uh, on, on women's suffrage or where also quite late on it. yeah even later, <laughs> even <laughs> later. <Switzerland>, yes <laughs> 1984 i think mm-hmm. yeah exactly but so yeah switzerland was a, a special case yeah i would maybe also like to add a, a third institutional mechanism that is maybe the the constellation of of the government or how it was before and in switzerland i mean it's the constellation is, is quite fixed so we have since 1959 we have this magic formula who uh, was established that institutionalized the power sharing between the four major parties. And this was actually also the point where, for example, the social democrats actually entered. From then on, they were constantly in the, in the government with, with two seats. Mm-hmm. Just to, to quickly explain for the audience that the Swiss Federal Council is constituted of seven members that form the government. And after that magic formula, as we call it, the four major parties were represented in the federal council, like in a stable composition, essentially. So three parties had two seats and one party had one seat, just to to give the context. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So there was never, for example, the case that the social democrats were in the majority or something like that. So they... And the social democrats were like the party, at least in Switzerland, or but I think also elsewhere, who were most favorable to the introduction of, of women's suffrage. So um, they need to have allies in order to actually be able to, to make a proposal to the parliament. And so this was also a factor where Swiss institutions maybe acted a bit against um, early introduction of, of female suffrage. Yeah, we can we can go to the to the other two factors that you said, because I think they're also... Of course, they are very important. Yes, proportional representation or the, or the inclusion of, of various groups that, that came with it, of course, that might have been also a factor. This is actually also a factor if we look at the Federal Council, which brought forward that speaks against the introduction of female quotas or something like that, because as you said, there are seven members, 
and the constitution prescribes that it has to be um, so so regional um, groups have to be appropriately represented and linguistic groups have to be appropriately represented so there was just there is the argument that there's no more room to to include another group also appropriately all the time so that's that the argument that's maybe also linked a bit to this idea of proportional representation and um, with regard to to direct democracy I think it even exerted a, a twofold influence. So the first is what we already discussed before. So the electorate was an additional veto player and it played its roles as, as we have seen in the in the late 50s. And the second factor linked to direct democracy is more of the idea of that Switzerland is this special case. So the, the very fact that Switzerland is boast of this extensive direct democratic rights for Swiss men was used to legitimize the lack of women's suffrage. For example, the, the Federal Council once said, you know, that the depth of direct democracy actually makes up for the lack of breath. So that was one reason to, to justify why we keep it a bit <laughs> more restricted. And yeah, many, many believe that whether women were in fact interested enough to vote on so many different issues that, yeah, looking at their role back then probably did not concern their daily lives or because they were much more kept in the domestic, domestic uh, private lives. So it was really the view that politics was a male game, right? That the men were more interested or whatever, you know, than Exactly. Than and that they were in, they were in the public life. They, they actually experienced this. So they also had, they were capable of, of, of forming these decisions and, there was also the idea that, yeah, women, they have their, their domestic duties and or they might neglect them, even their domestic duties, if they also have to, to get engaged with politics and in complex issues, etc. So mm-hmm. That's the, the very conservative argument. <laughs> the yeah, easy yeah. Argument. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, it, it was brought up quite often. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And also, mm-hmm. we have to say that there were also women's associations that were against introduction of women's suffrage, right? Yeah, to that's be, an important point, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's true. These institutional hurdles, they are they were really important in in the sense that just made it harder to to pass this legislation. Because if we look at other countries in, in Europe, uh, for example, that or around the world that introduced women's suffrage earlier, it was usually more an elite decision or a political decision in parliament. So often this was actually around uh, World War One when women were way more uh, involved in in actually the whole military mobilization and and the social services that they provided. And this was in many countries a reason why why the deal, the kind of political deal was, okay, we give women the vote almost as a a transaction in in response to women actually providing a lot of support in production, in in social services, in in the society uh, during World War I. At least that's probably a, a very rough <laughs> uh, summary of, of the historic uh, events yeah, in right. other countries, right? Yeah, but still, yeah, Switzerland was, was less affected, of course, by World War I as, as other countries. And that's, of course, that's also a reason, I guess, uh, for some countries to, to introduce the women's suffrage earlier and probably not only as a reward for them due to their engagement um, during the, the, the years of war. But maybe also because men then realized that things actually do not change massively when, when women were leaving their houses and, and entering the public sphere. So maybe then also the fear that the politics would actually change fundamentally when women had the right to vote then diminished also in those countries. 
that made this experience. Also, we may uh, add here that in 1918, Switzerland had a huge general strike. So people from all industries were on the streets and two of the main demands were actually, one was proportional representation and the other one was women's suffrage. And in the end, uh, proportional representation was finally implemented, but not, not women's suffrage. But that was also a, a point in time when this social push for inclusion uh, of women in politics was, was at, the, at the crossroads, I would say. Okay, now I'd like to talk more about the post-1971 uh, period when women actually got the right to vote. They were uh, soon included, obviously, in, in, in the elections, in, in participation. So how did women react to that newly acquired right to, to participate, to vote and to be elected? You see that when, when women were allowed to vote, it seems like then a lot of energy became free for fighting for other gender equality issues. So, um, And then popular initiatives were launched in the early 70s with quite radical demands for that time, actually. So, for example, uh, they demanded a paternal leave for nine months, which is something we are still far, far away from it right now. Or there was the demand um, raised for legalizing abortion. And, um, yeah, of course, they were not directly adopted, but still from this point on, when, when women had the right to vote, and the debate at least could be launched about these issues. Before, you can really rarely see that such issues have been part of parliamentary discussions. So here you can really see a difference that when women entered the political sphere, these issues were also then on the table. And you say these debates were mainly launched through direct democracy rather than through parliament, or was it both? Both. You can also see, looking at the parliamentary discussion, that, that women started to launch motions and postulates for, for these issues. So it was, I'd say it was both. But I think it's interesting how much um, pressure these direct democratic um, initiatives could actually exert already back then on, 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 on uh, politics. So there was not this direct influence because the proposals, they were really um, rejected, heavily rejected at the ballot then. The population in Switzerland was still at that time rather um, conservative in their worldviews. Toward the, toward the role models, but it helped to put pressure on, on parliamentary work. So there were counter-proposals, raised proposals were taken up partially, um, which actually in the end had an influence also. So this is very interesting, I think. And how did representation, women's representation in parliament, how did that develop? In the National Council, where we have the proportional representation system, it developed slowly but steadily. I'd say until the, the last national elections where we had quite a steep increase. So now we are at 40% representation of women in, in the National Council, which is also in European terms not, not so bad or actually quite, quite good. But before it was really a slow and, and steady increase. And in the uh, Council of States, it was even slower maybe also because of the, of the different electoral systems. So there we have, for, for most cantons, we have majority vote and only two seats per canton. There we are now at 25%. So one in four members of this Council of States is, is female. And um, we had even 
similar figures already at the beginning of the millennium, but then it um, went down again. So there is not this slow and steady increase. So it's a bit more, more up and down. But at least at the at the government level, the federal council saw already a majority of women, right? That was also an important step, I think, and also very symbolic that a majority of women was leading for a certain time period the Swiss government. Yeah, that happened once, exactly. Yeah, for one or two years, we had this majority of women, so four women, three men. And now we're back at, at three. So, but yes, until, I'd say... 2005 or something, we have uh, at least two or mostly three three um, female federal councillors, that's true. And the first female councillor was elected in 1984. So also there you see that it took, of course, more time than the entrance to the National Council. So from, from your perspective, uh, you know, we are now in the National Council, so that's the, the main chamber we are at 40%. I guess if we had like almost perfect representation, we should be around 50%. Do you think we should just be more patient and wait till actually we get even higher? Or do you see any institutional changes that could be implemented that might get us there earlier? Yeah, that's always difficult to tell because of course time always is or was a factor for women it had to be they had to be patient and maybe they still have and but yes I, there were some institutional changes that have been discussed for some times the discussion for the introduction of quota was there not only for the national council but also for other institutions but actually none of these proposals yeah found a majority neither in parliament nor at the ballot they these discussions i feel like they decreased a bit and lately, um, proposals rather aim at fostering the reconciliation between family, career and parliamentary mandate in order to motivate more women to run for the office. Then at least for the National Council, the, the problem actually lies at this point. So the chances to be elected are now, it's not for so long this is the case, but at least for, for, for some years now, and the chances to be elected are the same for, for women and men. So the problem is also that not enough women are asked to put their candidature or that they don't want to for, for, for... To run for office. Exactly. So this might probably help increasing the reconciliation between family, career and parliamentary mandate to, to motivate more women to run for office. And there are several proposals are in discussions. So, for example, um, some cantons also notice this um, institutional rule already. They have substitutes who are able to, to replace the parliamentarian um, when she's not able to attend, for example, for maternity reasons. There are also proposals who demand more family-friendly uh, meeting rhythms or enhanced financial support in order to hire someone to assist them in preparing uh, their motions and postulates and so on. And also, I remember, like in the last election, 2019, there was a big push of women's association to put women higher on on the lists of the parties and and just for more women to actually run run for office and i think this was quite effective actually exactly yeah you can really see this in numbers that's why we are now at 40% so uh, before it was really a steady and slow increase and i think also that the the women's strike and then all this discussion and the the women's organization that really helped in in pushing female candidatures
for people who want to uh, read up on some of these uh, developments, do you have any recommendations of books or papers? <laughs> um, oh, there's so many. <laughs> difficult to, to find one also in the in the last year because of the 50th anniversary of uh, women's suffrage yes there were so many new publications some also with portraits on on, on women or um yeah really engaging with the history of the of the movement i think that some things we discussed today are also in the book of uh, of werner seitz it's in german only mm -hmm. but auf die Bank geschoben It's called in German and yeah, yeah. placed on the waiting bench or yeah. <laughs> put it <so>. or, or, <laughs> or queuing up essentially. Queuing up probably <laughs> is easier, exactly. Yeah, where he really shows this history of and, and also the several attempts of introducing um, women's suffrage in the parliament, but in the cantons, but also um, outside. But actually, the, the book that um, stuck in my mind. It's not a political science book, but I, I think it really shows quite nicely um, the the different worlds that Switzerland combines. So that's one that's written by the historian um, Wilfred Meichtri, and it's called Verliebte Feinde, so Enemies in Love. And it sounds like a like a love story, but it's of course it's far more than that, because it includes the um, intertwined biographies of two people that were very important in Switzerland for the fight for for um, women's suffrage and equality between the sexes. One is the very progressive and urban woman Iris von Rotten, who published slightly before the first vote on female suffrage. Um, for Swiss standard, a quite radical um, analysis on the situation of women. Yeah, where she demanded full gender equality and sexual self-determination and so on. Uh, and there is her husband, Peter von Rotten. He originates from the conservative canton of, of, of Valle. And he became a member of the National Council for the Catholic Conservative Party. So the two really had very different backgrounds and, 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 and worldviews. And she then actually influenced um, his stance towards women's suffrage uh, greatly. And he also launched um, demands in parliament for the introduction of, of female suffrage. Of course, he was the only one from his party. But yeah, I, I really think that the book manages to show in a very impressive way the fight for equality in Switzerland and the fights between themselves and also with others um, when yeah, these opposing worldviews collided. Another book I will now recommend without actually having read it yet, but it is very high on my reading list, so I should definitely read it because it's from um, Brigitte Studer and Judith Wittenbach on the women's suffrage um, and it's on the historical and legal developments in Switzerland that actually then led to the introduction of women's suffrage. And they also talk about a lot about the question why it took so long to introduce women's suffrage in Switzerland in the end. And then another publication from last year I, I, I can also recommend this is the one, um, uh, it's edited by Dennis Schmidt and it's a compact um, publication on the question, written a bit in an essayistic form um, on what happened after women were granted their political rights. So how actually um, the fight for gender equality developed, who raised which issues and how or whether they were successful. And it also taps a bit the role of, of, of women's movement. That's also a book I could definitely recommend. Maybe I should also make a bit of 
promotion for, for our book. <laughs> yes, of course. Um, I have a publication with a colleague of mine that also came out last year, and it also looks at what happens afterwards. So after women were granted the right to vote, we looked at a lot of parliamentary discussions on, on several topics, social security um, discussions or, or legalizing abortion, um, how, how women are integrated in the, in the economic life and so on but very closely looks at the parliamentarian discussions that also taps the success of these issues. Sounds fascinating. And um, thanks thanks for sharing these recommendations. And if any others come up, uh, I'll just put them in the show notes, uh, of course. So Marlen, thanks a lot for uh, taking the time to be a guest on, on the podcast and uh, sharing your views, some of your research. And um, yeah, it has really been a pleasure and uh, an insightful discussion. Thank you so much. Thanks very much to you. Thanks for listening to this episode. Feel free to reach out to me with suggestions for guests I could invite on the show or any other feedback at stefan.keywords at gmail.com. That's S-T-E-P-H-A-N dot K-Y-B-U-R-Z at gmail.com. Thank you and take care.